Welcome to Golden Topics, which are personal discussions with a variety of professionals on critically important elder issues. Hi, my name is Mirit Hoffman. I'm a mother of three, a gerontologist, and an attorney specializing in elder law. My focus is helping senior citizens to stay in control when they reach significant junctions in their lives. I am a member of STEP, which is a global society of trust and estate practitioners. I lecture on estate planning and I write on various sites about the relationship between children and their elderly parents and the daily needs of the intergenerational family. These podcasts are personal discussions with a variety of professionals and are intended for anyone who is interested in being enriched with knowledgeable information regarding significant crossroads for seniors. Let's get started. I hope you enjoy it. Today we're talking to Aviva Yuselis, who's a certified patient advocate about navigating the medical system in Israel. So thank you very much, Aviva. Thank you. This is so fun. It is fun. And why don't you introduce yourself first? I will. Oh, thank you. Um, Yes, so my name is Aviva. Um, and I'm actually a, a new immigrant. I've only been here 25 years. Amazing. <laughs> 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 it still, it still feels new. Uh, and I, I've actually worked in the field of health education and health navigation uh, for over 25 years. I started in the states, and then I moved to Israel. And I, um, about 15 years ago. I started getting more and more involved in helping people navigate the healthcare system because I saw that there was a real need, especially among immigrants and especially among English speakers, um, because I find that the cultural differences um, in terms of how you interact with the systems are, are, are greatest, I think, when it comes to bureaucracy. Right. Uh, so I, I have a master's in public health, and I worked. I worked in health research. I had my own company that did um, medical research coordination in the community. And uh, a, a few years ago, I actually started working pretty much focused on the issue of helping people uh, navigate and advocate for themselves within the system, and that's what I do now, uh, full time. And uh, as you said, I was I. I'm actually the first certified patient advocate outside of North America. I uh, had to travel to Malta to do the certification exam. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So I feel uh, I feel very uh, strongly about the issue of being able to help people within the system and not have people flounder. Okay, so. Explain to me because I really don't understand what's a certified patient advocate. What, how is this different from a social worker or a medical secretary? Such a good question. I get that all the time. <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> I started out the field of public health, you know, which everybody knows now what public health is. Right. Uh, but when I started, people were like, what? What's public health? What does that mean? So now I just, you know, have fallen into yet another uh, category. But a patient advocate is somebody who helps people first and foremost understand the information that they're receiving from the medical system. Um, that could mean, you know, just understanding the terminology to also understanding what their options are in terms of treatment and and, and very much so in terms of rights. 
Um, and often in, in Israel now, we hear the term much more mitsui uh, schuyot, which is sort of um, actualizing your rights, if that's the direct translation. But that is that is an aspect of what a patient advocate is really doing, is helping someone recognize those rights and then actualizing them. Sometimes that could mean just giving the person the accurate information and saying, you know what, this agency ha- you know, handles this problem and you need to call. Uh, it could mean also doing that for the person themselves because for whatever reason, sometimes people are not able to to act upon that. Or often when you're in a crisis and you know in healthcare, it's just you're inundated, you're overwhelmed. So, so what I do is I take part of that burden off of people by um, facilitating discussions, taking care of a lot of the bureaucracy, explaining to them how the situation is going to work and sometimes completing those steps for them also. So a social worker, sorry, go ahead. So a social worker and a nurse and uh, even a medical secretary um, are often doing aspects of patient advocacy, even though they don't call themselves that. Uh, and I, I personally think that it's sort of part of the uh, job definition of a social worker or of a nurse, you know, to, to do an advocate, especially if she's working in the healthcare field. Um, but it really depends on the individual, whether she interprets her own job as having those aspects or not. So it's something that is not, um, it's not learned. It's sort of learned, it's, it's sort of learned on the job as experiential for a lot of those people. And, um, so I sort of have combined the the theoretical knowledge that I've learned, um, my background in public health, which is different than the background of a social worker, and then obviously my personal and, and professional experience. Okay. So what issues do you think is important for the older crowd um, to know as a advocate? Right. So um, it is, uh, I work a lot. I mean, I don't exclusively work with, let's say, people who are they're older adults, um, but I I do work a lot because often people are in you know a healthcare crisis, right. um, and they might feel overwhelmed. And you know, I know for myself from having made Aliyah as an you know I was youngish, but I was an adult, and how over that overwhelming you know is so when you make Aliyah over retirement age, you know everything is foreign, not just the language, but the culture and people's behaviors, et cetera. So the first thing that uh, I think it's really important, I say in a lot of my lectures to people is, no is really just the beginning of the conversation. (laughs) Meaning, I had a client once who was this lovely British man who called up, you know, he called up uh, an agency and he said, you know, do you, you know, will you provide this treatment? And, uh, And they said, no. And he was like, oh, okay, thank you. And he had the vote. He did it. And he's polite. They said no. So that was the answer. And, uh, you know, and it turns out, of course, they did. He just had to ask in a different way. You know, he had to rephrase it. He had to put the emphasis. Oh, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, yeah, sure, we offered that. So, you know, that's a little bit of, of the coaching is is not to take no as the final answer, but just sort of the beginning of the of the dialogue. I thought you were going to say the first thing they should do is take Valium and breathe and then make <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a lot of breathing. You have to laugh. You really have to laugh. Yeah. I um, 
an anecdote that that was is related. I took my father to a uh, to a surgeon the other day. It was the at the end of his day? I guess he was tired. It's Corona. Uh, I was told he does he wasn't so warm and fluffy. But you know, I'm I'm with my father. I had to ask. We walk in. We're actually standing in the doorway. My dad's the entrance. I'm there. The surgeon looks at me and says in Hebrew, "What's his problem?" <laughs> I know. I get, you know what? I get that a lot. I get that a lot. For, but you get from my clients where they're complaining and they're so right. The, bed, yeah. the, the doctors don't talk to them. They talk to the person sitting next to it. It could be the doctor. It was like it was like a, a caricature of that of that situation. So what I'm saying is, us is you just sometimes you just have to laugh. You know, you you have to. You have to kind of let things roll off of you, if possible. Right, right. And you really, you really need to choose your battles. Meaning, you need to go into a situation and you need to say, "What is it that I want out of this interaction?" Before you, before you even start the interaction, you know, if I'm right. going to the doctor because I want that prescription of that medication that really isn't in the basket of services, but you know, I I need him to give me that prescription. So then you have to remember his. You know, you have to have sort of have have tunnel vision right, right. so that's the second and the third thing that i want to remember remind people is always get a written summary when you leave a doctor's office a specialist not the gp but any other doctor it's called the sikun bikor it's a summary of the visit it's crucial you're going to need it for lots of other things every doctor has to give it to you at the end make sure that in the in that you leave with that in your hand that's such an important, that is so important to know because I'm sure that they leave and then they have all these questions or they forgot actually what was said because they were a little bit nervous and maybe of course. dad and when right. it's then they have and they can say, oh yeah, I remember that now. That's right. And that, you're definitely for that. And also you want to apply for b 2 benefits later on. You want to get a handicap parking sticker. You want to do, you know, you need documentation, um, for all sorts of, you know, various, um, you want to get a discount on your Nona, you know, well, that's sort of different because you have to get me. but, but being that you, you're going to need that paper trail to, you know, later on as well right. for bureaucratic reasons, you know, not to mention the fact that yes, you need to actually, because unfortunately what happens sometimes is what the doctor says is not what he writes down in the summary. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. That's so what, happens, what happens if that if that if that happens? What do you do? If what he said so, is wrote, right? So if I'm if this is one of my clients, so when they showed me the paper and they said like the doctor said I have to have surgery on my knee, you know, and that is going to help you get you know you want to get B twelve benefits, let's say for that period after surgery, of which you're eligible for, right? To have somebody come to the home to help you afterward. I said you you know, but the doctor didn't write that. He didn't write that she had to have surgery. He said, you know, patient has pain, has options, sent for physical therapy, you know, also recommended surgery in the future. Now, sometimes it's because the person hears what they want to hear. And sometimes because the doctor isn't always paying attention. So in those cases, when I show the discrepancy to people, I've, I've called up doctors. Uh, I've emailed doctors if there's a discrepancy. I encourage, you know, people often they'll go back. I'll write down exactly what it is that they need to say and they to, to bring to their doctor's attention. And will the doctor say, yes, you're right. I'll write it down. I, I don't know if yes, you're right. 
that actually that's real. I'm not trying Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot where we are. Hello. But no, but often when presented in a sort of objective, non-emotional, you know, we discuss this, but the letter doesn't say that. And could you please correct it? You know, not correct. Could you please change? So it says this for me, for my referral, et cetera. Then yes. Yes. Okay. I think what we forget is, and I think also the older you are, you might have, you also have an image sort of of physicians that like, they know everything, you know, and doctors are extremely knowledgeable, but the bureaucracy of the system is not something that they are taught in medical school. So the doctor may not know about how you get me to Akhlumi. He may not know, or she may not know what to write on that letter. That will help you get as opposed to not getting it. And I think that there's expectation. Well, they're all in the medical field. So, you know, the doctor knows what he doesn't always. Right. So that's you're right. The the assumption is there's God and then there's the doctor and then he should know. Right, you don't about really think that. the medical bureaucracy. Because, you know, yeah, and then you, you know... Right. In addition to diagnosing my right skin rash. Exactly, exactly. Now realize that he doesn't really know everything. Okay, what other examples you can give me or give us of how, how you can help people with the navigation here? Right, so um, so first of all, I, I urge everybody, and I think at the end also you have, um, you have my website that you'll show, because I try to put as much as I can on the website for people to be able to access for themselves, people who are looking for um, summaries of what their rights are and information. So I have a bunch of downloadables there that I give. I'm a huge believer in checklists. Uh, so so I've got some, you know, I checklists that people can, can download, you know, questions that you need to ask the doctor when you go to the doctor. Um, uh, the other thing that, um, that I'm able to offer people is as I sort of deal with, because I, I, I think I've ever mentioned this before, the difference um, also with me, let's say I'm not a case, I'm not a case manager. Like sometimes a social worker be there. Fantastic. There's some great agencies and great people who do that. And they're case managers. Uh, I am very focused on let's resolve the issue. Uh-huh. You know, I have, um, I, I want to figure out how to get my me benefits. I had, just got off a call before I, I started talking with you from a previous client who now she wanted to, she had one level of care for her for her mother and now she wants to up the level of care, uh, but she was rejected for me uh, for a variety of you know reasons. Some she could know, some she wouldn't, but, but there's very specific things that you can do now, uh, you know, ways you can ask the doctor information, uh, things that you need to tell me so, so things like that. Um, Sort of lots of the, you know, the government forms is what I help people also um, sort of navigate and figure out. Um, also, what I do a lot is I help people break things down into into steps, into sort of more of an action plan. You know, I have a number of clients who are taking care of spouses who are now no longer able, you know, able to care for themselves. So right. you have, you know, the overwhelming emotional deal of the person is no longer the person you're married to. Right. Uh, you've got the practical day-to-day running of your household. You've got, you have to manage their, their medical care, you know, for, for them. You've got to manage the legal and the financial. And you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself. 
right. you know, that you're that you're putting things in place um, so that so that later on there won't be, you know, there won't be problems. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're basically, if I understand correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, sure. For a caregiver will, you know, go into a family and deal with like around. You mean, you mean a case manager? You mean a case manager? Yeah. Whereas what you're doing is you're pinpointing an issue to do with medical stuff and you're attacking that or you're helping her either process it or or cut it up into bite sizes or to exactly exactly that's exactly what it is yeah 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 okay right okay so that's Um, why it's sort of a focused it's uh you know it's a focused uh niche as i know another sorry there's another thing okay because then i want to have another thing that i was i was also realizing is that um a big part also of what I do is helping people know the options that are available to them. For example, um, I had a client uh, a few years back who, who was taking care of his elderly mother who was really, she was homebound, she was, she was deteriorating. And really, you know, he didn't know that he could transfer, you know, transition to hospice care. That he didn't have to keep trying to access the the regular medical system, so you know he came to me kind of like, how do I find more hours for my mother? But in the conversation with him, I realized that she was needing and eligible for hospice care. She met the criteria. It would take a load off of him. Then when you bring hospice in, it's like a totally different perspective. You have a social worker, and you have a physician, and you have a nurse, and you have much more of a sort of like holistic supportive environment for for both you know the caregiver and and the patient right um and also you know sort of letting them know what are the different options that are available to some people they know that they want to be host like my parent like i want them to be hospitalized if anything happens i want them just sort of you know walking through like what that would look like and you know, would you want would you want the person to be at home until the end? Would you want the person to be hospitalized and ex- you know, sort of definite measures taken? Would you want them to be in a you know in a hospital hospice setting? And the thing here is, everybody chooses something different depending on the makeup of their family. You know, I had one person who had little kids in the house, so she said, "I don't feel comfortable having my father here, who was obviously you know needed hospice care, but." She felt uncomfortable with her little kids being around that. So, you know, for her, then, and then I help her pursue, you know, the hospital-based hospice care. So then it would be like a telephone call and finding the right Hafnaya and, you know, et cetera, hooking her up with a social worker. So, you know, so those are the kinds of, it's, it's not only knowing, knowing what your options are and then identifying which one yeah, makes the most sense for you. And then how do I actualize that? Okay. I have another question. There's, there's, I know that, you know, as you get older, um, it's not just a pinpoint of something medical, like the medical, I don't know, the, the, the foot is something to connect it with the heart, which connects to the back, which connects to the spine, which connects, there's a lot of things going on. And what happens a lot of the times is that 
the client, you know, the person will go to one doctor, will give him X, and then he'll go to the other doctor, will give him Y, and they don't necessarily talk to each other. And it could right. be that it's well, A that has to be actually being something that they need to go to a different doctor who will have to see the whole picture and right. make completely different. Is that something that you also help with and talk to them? I definitely, I definitely help facilitate that with people. When I, you know, one of the first things when I do when I come into a situation is um, I don't do like there are people, I don't do like a long involved assessment. A lot of people feel like I, that's, that's not how I operate. I operate more from a, I sort of, I come in and I, I, I try to gather the relevant information that I know I need to see. Is that happening? What you said. And when I, you know, I hear somebody who I'm taking my mother to the, to this doctor and the cardiologist and then, you know, there's a lot of bounce back and the person also has diabetes and the person also may have Parkinson's, but, you know, so then, then it's a kind of walking through, like, is there a way to refine this process? You know, can we, can we choose sort of our one expert? What are we, what are our goals here and going, you know, is it, is it balancing out medication? Is it behavioral? Is it, you know, really sort of bringing up the points of how are we emphasizing quality of life? You know, how are we finding it? Because what you find is that when you go to one doctor and he sees, you know, oh, okay, you're having, um, I think you have asthma. You should go to the pulmonologist. Okay. The doctor isn't thinking to himself, okay, this person in front of me is 89 years old. In order for him to make the appointment with the pulmonologist, he either has to do it himself, which being that the person made Aliad 75 and doesn't really speak so much, it probably isn't going to happen, which means he has to ask somebody in his inner circle. They have to look up. They don't have a recommendation for a pulmonologist. So either they'll choose something or, you know, or they want to be more, um, uh, what's the word, um, uh, responsible. You know, the person who said, I want to be responsible. I want to make sure I find the best pulmonologist. So they ask their friend. So, so that is another 10, 15, 20 phone calls and, and questions and Facebook posts. And then you find the pulmonologist and then you have to make him and you have to get it. So the doctor isn't thinking, wow, this is really going to be probably like three weeks of work, another six to seven weeks maybe of waiting for the appointment. And then what's the person going to do with the appointment when he sees the pulmonologist? Right. You know, is it, is it going to be so, so sometimes just sort of exploring what is our goal? Because Again, people say the doctor told me to see A, he gave me the referral, you know, and he told me to go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor first, you know, the specialist or the doctor refers to you, but I'm, sometimes a doctor you don't have, it doesn't fully understand the whole, no, you know, situation because you have, what, seven minutes sometimes to talk to the doctor and he wants to help you, you know, and he says, oh, okay, you know, maybe asthma you need to see. So sometimes just taking a step back and walking through and sort of doing, okay, what are our priorities here? You know, especially during COVID, you know, when nobody was going out. I mean, hopefully now things will, you know, free up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the long answer to your short question was yes. <laughs> now you walk, so basically would walk, would walk somebody through that. Yeah. So then somebody would come to you and say, I was told to go to cardiologist. What do I do? How do I move the system here? What are exactly. your options? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's move a little bit towards Bituach Lumi. I know it's a very tricky subject. A lot of people are not really sure what the hell. So <laughs> try and try explain it to us a little bit. Uh, so Bituach Lumi on, on one foot is uh, in charge of all of your social welfare 
um, benefits in the, the monetary kind. So for uh, somebody who made Aliyah after retirement age, um, even if they have like a... Which is 65, sorry? which is so 65 or 67 in Israel. 67 for a man, right, and 62 for, uh, for a lady. Right. Uh, so they're not eligible for, let's say, the disability payments, uh, even if they have, let's say, a chronic illness. However, if they get to a point where they need some level of care in their activities of daily living, and that can mean somebody helping them with shopping, somebody helping them prepare food, somebody clean the house, you know, do more of the heavy lifting kind of thing, then they're eligible to apply to Bituachlumi CUD, which is like long-term care um, insurance provision for, for people who are uh, over pension age. Okay. And the thing that I want to point out for people is, first of all, everyone should know that you can apply online. The forms are online, uh, which makes you don't have to go into the office. I talked to so many people like, oh, I have to. I'm like, no, you just do the forms online. You know, it's, um, this is my thing also. It's like a lot of people think I'm strange. Like, I'll tell you a secret, but I love forms. <laughs> <laughs> I find if they ever. I've only met one form that I didn't like in my in my life thus far. I find them very soothing. It's kind of like I don't know. They're, they're soothing. Okay, so, there's a method to the madness. I understand. I understand where it's like from. algebra. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so well, you're a lawyer. You must like forms, no? Um, I, I'm taking the fifth on that one, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, but so you fill out the forms um, online, and um, now I've completely lost my my train of thought. This is something that you can do online that you can fill out the right. Forms. And you and I tell people that there is an income cap, meaning there's two ways to two types of criteria for any bituachlumi benefit. One is medical; you have to meet the medical criteria, and the second is financial. There is a financial um, cap. However, um, you know, I, I encourage people who aren't sure to apply because the worst thing that will happen is that they will say you are not eligible because you have too much income. I, I feel like people are kind of afraid like that they're going to get a knock on the door and somehow Bituach Lumi is going to like, I don't know, actually take away their money or, you know, I don't know, scold them or, you know, it's not. And, and what's important is that even if you don't end up getting the money, just the recognition that you would be eligible can help you uh, in the future if you want to get a live-in caregiver, you know, like a like a live like a farm worker to come over, um, or you want, you know, you need other benefits through the kupat cholim. So uh, it's if you if you're in that situation, I always encourage people to apply. Okay. Uh, so that is that sort of bituach lumi and and not I, there's a there's not to be afraid, you know. There's a there's a fear there. I'm not sure where it comes from, if it's like the fear of forms or the fear of bureaucracy or everybody speaks Hebrew or, you know, um, or, I mean, the truth is that even in the, you know, period of time that I've lived in this country and I've been working in this field, I see a change in Bituach Lumi, you know? I mean, the, the really, like, people, the, the, they do want to help. Like, the, the clerks there want to help. You know, they don't always have the right information, but I'm saying that, you know, there shouldn't be afraid. That shouldn't be a barrier to to getting what you what you need to get. 
Okay. Okay. Anything else that we should like that would be important for for people to know that you want to mention now for B2? Um I think I usually I was funny because I was going to say um in the beginning and I somehow like I I didn't I didn't get into that but how I how I got into this. Oh, but yeah. uh, I, but I but I tell people in addition to being in public health and 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 you know having the professional experience and liking forms, <laughs> I yeah, uh, I've had I myself I I had five children I have five children beautiful children each one with their own unique health issue that I had to navigate you know by myself in the system, um, with my Hebrew, and and the other thing is that um, I am also have um, merited to have bring my parents over three and a half years ago and I'm the primary caregiver for my mother and my parents live with me. So I, 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 I get it. You know, I understand that there's the, you know, the personal, personal. I think it's really important actually that you're like living it sort of thing. So you can get it, which means you can be more accommodating or understanding towards your own clients because you're exactly. there. Yeah. Also, I, I mean, also I get, you know, I get those little things, like what I said about the pulmonologist, you know, it's sort of this throwaway line that the doctor will say, and yet, you know, it becomes a, a burden in a sense. It can be for the person who's, you know, who's caregiving. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. Okay. So I'm going to, while I put your contact information so people who want to contact you can do so, why don't you explain to us when somebody would need your services, when wouldn't they need your services? Right, right, right. So um, first of all, anybody who is contemplating applying for Bituachulumi but not sure that they're eligible or they've applied and they were rejected in the past, um, I, I encourage people just to... Um, I, I on my on my site, which if you email me, I can say I also have a I have a, a link, a scheduling link, and I do twenty minutes free consult for people so that they can ask their questions to see if it's even you know relevant. Uh, sometimes I could just give a piece of information there that sort of you know that's what uh, that's all that was needed. Um, and then if if I realize it's going to bigger you know be a bigger issue, then then I offer people I. I have, um, I, I work in a package setting, so I have a package for, you know, a government form application, or I have what I call the three month, um, you know, intense advocacy, like we're, we're transitioning, you know, or I'm bringing my parents over, or I just brought them over, or my, you know, something happened, or there wasn't like, you know, it was one healthcare situation, and all of a sudden we're faced with another one, and all right. the things that go on with that. Um, so, so those are the kinds of things when people, and I, I always encourage people just reach out, email me. I mean, I'll say call because, um, my, my life isn't sort of scheduled like that. I'm very, you know, very sort of <laughs> compartmentalized with the time, but I always tell people, email me your question and I'll get back to you in a day or two. And I'll tell you, you know, is it relevant? I try to direct people on, uh, I give referrals all the time to people, you know, different people, I mean, like case managers and, and care agencies and, you know. So I, I have a network of people that I refer to. 
I think that's very comforting when somebody feels like he's not on his own or she's not on her own and there's some sort of somebody that can just even walk them through the little steps of crossing them to the other side of the road, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, right? What do they say is like a lot of what you do is because you wanted that and you didn't, you know, so it's, it's the same for me, you know? I would have loved if someone had told me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, well... This has been extremely informative and time so went glad. really quickly. It really did. It was so fun talking with you. I'm so it glad to uh, we connected. Yes, it was wonderful. Thank you for listening to another episode of Golden Topics. I hope you enjoyed it and that it provided you with important information. Do not forget to click and subscribe to Golden Topics so that you can stay updated on my upcoming podcasts. And of course, please share and invite family and friends to listen so that they can also benefit from the information discussed here. You are also welcome to visit my website, www.lawmereet.com, and to follow me on Facebook for more information regarding intergenerational estate planning and the various needs of the elderly population. I'm already waiting for you with my coffee in the next episode. Oh.